Good morning. Welcome to Green Tree Community Church. Christ is risen. Oh, y'all, now the 930 service puts you to shame. Come on. You got an extra hour of sleep. You had good brunch. Christ is risen. Amen. Welcome again to Green Tree. My name is Tom Ricks. I'm one of the pastors here at Green Tree. We're glad to have all of you worshiping with us this morning. If you're a visitor, thanks for taking the time to be with us. If you'd like to know more about Green Tree, uh, we have a great website, greentreechurch.com. You can go there. Uh, when you leave this morning, we have a welcome table uh, out in the front door. You can stop by there if you'd like to pick up some information. Uh, as well, folks around, again, spiritual family, look, if you see somebody you don't know, welcome them to Green Tree. Make sure they feel at home. If you have a particular question about a specific ministry, children's ministry, small groups, Bible studies, uh, there's a little form inside our Seasons Weekly, and you can fill out your contact information, give us your question uh, and what you would like to know. When you leave, we have a little model churches in the front and the back where we receive our Sunday morning offering. You can just drop it in there, and the appropriate person will get in touch with you this week. Now, everybody got one of these when you came in. Uh, it's against the rules to read this during the sermon, so I'll be, I'll be paying attention in case, you, uh, in case you decide you want to get a little tempted with that. But what this is is the uh, vast majority of information about Green Tree Ministries coming into this spring. So there's a lot of great information in here. Take it home, stick it in your Bible, put it in your purse, uh, hang it on your, on your wall. But this is, a, this is a kind of a where we're going in the next few months. So uh, team put a, the communications team did a great job putting this together, and a lot of questions that you may have could certainly be answered in there. Uh, just one quick announcement. We are back to our regular schedule next Sunday, so 9 and 1045. Uh, Sunday school at 9 o'clock, and we will begin in our next adult Sunday school class. We'll also start again next Sunday, and all of that information is in the Seasons Weekly. So we're back back to, um, to 9 and 1045 uh, next week. Uh, I said welcome to Green Tree Community Church. I should have said and Floral Garden up here in the front. If you have any pollen issues in the first few rows, we're sorry. It is a little thick up here. After the service... Uh, if you stick around for five minutes and help us put like three things away, you may take one of these plants home with you, any one that you would so desire. Uh, we would ask that you take one per family uh, because there's some great flowers here, and I know everybody would love to grab one. Uh, and there are plenty of them, but don't take like six for your own house. So grab those after the service. In just a few minutes, we're going to be looking at John uh, chapter 20. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. The passage will be on the screen uh, in just a minute. Uh, we're going to kind of run down parallel tracks this morning. At the beginning of the service, uh, we did a responsive reading of Psalm 30. And in Psalm 30, David has uh, a spiritual journey where he's struggling with the brokenness of the world and God's redemption and how those two things can go together. And uh, we're going to meet Mary Magdalene at the tomb of Jesus, which is having the same kind of crisis that David was going through. And we're going to look at, at those two uh, at, at the same time because there's a similar message in both of them. So today's a day of celebration. Today's a day of great joy. People all over the world are, uh, are reflecting and, and giving thanks for their faith, if they uh, are of the Christian faith. And in our household, actually for about the last month, it's been pretty good. There's actually been several things to celebrate in the Rick's household. So it wasn't just uh, as we came into this weekend and remembered Easter, but we have some, some pretty positive things happening. Last week, week and a half ago, over in Kansas City, our, our, we uh, saw the arrival of our second granddaughter, Avery Elizabeth, was born last week ago Thursday in Kansas City. Cindy and I got to go over for the birth. It was C-section, so it was planned, so we got to be there. And so we had dinner with them Wednesday night, uh, saw them in the hospital right before they went in, 
Then left for a little while, came back. There was this beautiful bundle of joy. Got to hold her, got to take pictures, and I got to leave and come back to St. Louis. Didn't have to change a diaper. Didn't have to wake up in the middle of the night. All the blessing with none of the work. I think somebody has like a slogan, a business slogan. like So things are great with Nate and Liz and Lael and now with Avery. And Katie, our middle child, a lot of you may know, she got engaged last month. Katie's been living in Hawaii for about the last 18 months. And not only did she get engaged, which takes her off the remaining part of the payroll she's on, which I think is insurance and cell phone. I think we're down to those two things. Um, but she got to get to a great guy, and she's going to get married in Hawaii. So I have to go to Hawaii next week and check it all out and make sure everything's okay <laughs> with my golf club. So things are really looking good. And then Jordan, our youngest, who's at Southmore University, Alabama, he called last week. He's like, you know, Dad, in my, in my uh, business program, he's in the business college, the honors college in a, uh, a, a, a degree called management information systems, which I don't understand, but Fred tried to explain it to me the other day, and I still don't understand it. But he called and said, hey, I, I got some more scholarship money for next year. And I'm like, sweet, that's awesome, that's so great. And he said, yeah, now, can we talk about a car? <laughs> so sure, you can talk about a car all you want to, son. Knock yourself out. Um, but I'm sure your life is like that, too. Everybody's life's coming up roses this morning, right? Nobody's got any problems. Nobody has any issues. It's all good, right? Well, everybody knows that's not true. Everybody knows that there are moments of great joy in life, and there are also moments of great struggle uh, and great heartache and great brokenness. So the question I've been thinking about this week as I've been looking at this past, these two passages is this. Is it a question of life is basically a joyful experience uh, with true meaning and with happiness, but it is sprinkled with a little bit of salt and pepper of sorrow and heartache and struggle or is it the other way around? Is, is the world fundamentally a broken place? And there are moments, they're a bit rare, but there are moments of true joy and true meaning. And, and maybe you get my drift. I, I, guess I could argue kind of either side of that, of that uh, question. Is it mostly joy with some pain or mostly pain with some joy? Now, the reason that came to my mind, the reason that question was raised is because in the middle of kind of the Rix's things going pretty well, uh, in the last few weeks, I was reading a blog of Samantha Owens. Samantha is a graduate of the University of Missouri. She's a member of Green Tree Community Church. And for the last year, she has been traveling the globe on a, on a one-year mission trip that has taken her to every continent in the world, I think except for Antarctica and Australia. I think she's been on every other continent. And she's in the last two or three months of her service. She'll be home in the middle of June. Green Tree has supported her in this. But she's in Thailand right now, and she wrote in her blog, and I'm just going to share some of it with you this morning, because that, you know I'm kind of going, things are good right now, and then I read Samantha's blog, and here's what she wrote. My time here in Thailand is coming to a close, and it is perhaps the most influential month on the race for me. I found a passion working with the women, bar owners and men, etc. The women to whom she refers are women that are in the sex traffic slave. They're prostitutes, and some of them are young as 13 years old. And then she goes on to talk a little bit about her interaction in kind of a in kind of a, a 35,000 foot flyover. But then she tells this story. She said, I will never forget this as long as I live. I was eating dinner with one of my closest friends, Anne. I've changed her name. I took it the meal to uh, I took the meal to her in the bar because she couldn't leave the bar that night. She was she was working. One minute we were laughing and giggling like girls do. She had just showed me a picture of her adorable little son uh, who lives with her mom hours away. She was so beautiful. Her smile was radiant. And the next it was gone. 
One of her regular customers had walked in to take her for the night. One second she was herself, and the next she was working and protected behind a mask of uncaring. She looked at me, and I could see clear disappointment in her eyes that she had to leave. These are the moments when I don't have words even to pray. I look around myself, and all I see is brokenness. Reflecting back on the past couple of months, it devastates me. I've worked with orphans, kids that are abandoned by their parents or are left on the streets. I've worked with people with AIDS. I've given food to children whom that meal might have been the only one they were going to have all day. Even at home in the United States, teenage girls, really women in general, are trying to push themselves into the mold of beauty that our culture puts us in. Human trafficking, sex trafficking, police brutality, abandonment, eating disorder, depression, drug addiction, rejection, cutting, suicides, workout obsession, real beauty obsession, hopelessness, pornography, silenced voices, abuse, bullying, and homelessness. I am bombarded by the complete brokenness that is our world. So which is it? Mourning or dancing? John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Hear the word of God. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stopped, uh, stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up and in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. As she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, for every person in this room, both young and old, there are moments where we want to dance for joy. There are moments of celebration. There are moments where 
things seem to have lined up very well in our lives. Lord, there are other moments where the darkness crowds in, where our sin and confusion gets the best of us, when you seem uh, to be a million miles away, when we don't understand why things happen the way they do, and it, it is a time of mourning. Father, what we need to understand is, is, is one right or the other right, or, or, or is it a combination of both, or are we missing something? Do we not understand Lord, because every person in this room wants to have a life of significance. Even if we're in despair this morning, even if, if, if we are struggling this morning, it is, uh, it is our heart's desire to count for something, to mean something to someone else, to have a place of significance. And so, Father, this morning as we come on a, on a day where Christians all over the globe celebrate and rejoice, may we not skip too quickly past the struggle. But Lord, may we sit at your feet and hear your word. Father, we don't need my words. We don't need my ideas. They're, they're of no value. We need the very word, the true living word of God to penetrate our hearts, each and every one of us, whether we believe in you this morning or not. Each one of us needs to know the truth. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you give us that. And I pray that this morning that you would come and that you would teach us. Forgive me for my sin. Please don't let me stand in the way of what you want to say to us today. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, as we said, which is it, morning or dancing? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound in a few minutes like I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth because I'm, I'm actually going to suggest uh, that there, there, there are both. There are times where morning is very much appropriate, but there are also uh, moments when dancing is the correct response. And, and if one ultimately wins the day, which is it? So, uh, I'm going to start with just reasons to mourn, according to the psalm and according to this passage in John chapter 20, and I'm going to go back and forth between the two of them. But the first reason that I would suggest the passage says, reason for us to mourn is because of broken relationships and human hatred. In Psalm 30, the very first verse, David is praising God. That's what extol means. I'll, I'll bless your name. I'll, I'll glorify you. Oh, Lord, why? For you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. Now, we don't know exactly what the context is, but if you've read David's life, which you can in First and Second Samuel, you will see that David had lots of enemies. I mean, he had enemies from outside his country. Maybe you've heard the story of David and Goliath where the Philistines were coming to try and destroy Israel, and David's on the front lines of that battle. Uh, he certainly had military enemies, uh, but he also had enemies from his own countrymen. His own king, whose life he had spared on several occasions, was trying to assassinate him. And David spent a good portion of his younger life on the run. Once David's kingdom was established, you know, you think, okay, I've become the king. I'm the guy that's calling all the shots. I'm ruling the whole place. You know, the, the time of danger has passed, right? From within David's old family, his own son Absalom tried to kill him and take over the nation. David knew what broken relationships and human hatred were all about. In John 20, verse 1 it starts off with this explanation about Mary Magdalene. She comes to the tomb early while it was still dark, saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Why is Mary in the graveyard in the first place? It's because Jesus has confronted his enemies, and they had put him on a cross. They had killed him. They had murdered him. Jesus came to Jerusalem and said, enough is enough. We're, we're going to get this straight once and for all. 
And those who hated Jesus, those who loathed his presence, those who were jealous of him and angry about him, it would seem for the moment got the upper hand and ended up having the Romans execute him. Mary is in the graveyard because of broken relationships and human hatred. I appreciate the fact the scripture doesn't pass by that. It doesn't paint a fairy tale where kind of, you know, everybody lives happily ever after with no pain, with no struggle, and with no sorrow. We're knee deep in it in these two passages. But even outside of scripture, you, you don't have to look very far. You can, you can look to international conflict. You can look to, to uh, wars between nations to see the, the broken relationships on that level, the hatred on that level. But you don't even have to go that far. I think back to about a week ago, uh, the National Basketball Championship. What did we do when Kentucky won the national championship? What do we seem to do as Americans when we want to celebrate? We throw rocks through windows, we overturn cars, and we set them on fire. That, that's how we party in the United States. For a few minutes, we let our anger run. We let our hatred out. We let the beast run free. And it's an ugly, ugly thing. Did you know that 75% of murders that are committed in our country are committed by friends, acquaintances, or family members of the victim. In other words, there, there reaches a brokenness in our relationship and a hatred in our heart that literally causes us to physically strike out one against the other, even people whom we know well and even people whom we claim on some level to love. If that weren't scary enough, go, go to your favorite website news uh, page, whether it's Yahoo or one of the other ones, and read an article. And you pick your topic. I don't care. You, President Obama, the Republican nominee, whoever that's going to be, uh, the state of affairs in, in St. Louis County, the sports page. Go to any section you want to and read any article you pick, and then scroll down to the comment section, where people can sit behind their computers and say whatever they want, and nobody will know who they are and not find them. You want There's some scary people in this world. I mean, the, the angst and the anger... Not, not over some awful human tragedy, but, but over, you know, a, a baseball loss <laughs> or, or over a, an event that seemingly should have no emotion attached to it on that level. And you see the venom that has spilled out of people's mouths and hearts to one another. It's a reason for all of us to mourn. Second reason for mourning is physical suffering. Psalm chapter 30, verses 2 and 3, David says, O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. Oh Lord, you have brought me up. You have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have restored my life from among those who go down to the pit. Again, we don't know the exact context, but David had been flirting with some kind of serious illness, or perhaps he had been wounded on the battlefield. But what we do know is that, that he has cried out to God for physical healing, for physical mercy. And we don't have to go outside the confines of this room to see the physical suffering that is in this world. I, uh, I got done with the sermon yesterday and had a little time to play golf late yesterday afternoon, and I uh, texted a buddy and said, hey, do you want to join us, forgetting that he had had foot surgery about three days before and is laid up for six weeks. I, I gave him a public apology in front of the 930 service, but he's like, are you mocking me because you know that I'm laid up and I can't go out and play golf? I was like, oh, man, I, I just I forgot so completely. But that's how accustomed I am to hearing about physical suffering. That I hear it, it goes in one ear and out the other. Why? Because it happens all the time. It isn't odd to get a phone call where a child has been hurt on some level, to hear that, that a church member, a friend, a family member has gotten bad news from the doctor. Friends, that's no laughing matter. It's a reason 
for us to mourn. And again, Scripture paints a very clear picture of the world in which we live. A third reason for mourning, according to the passage, is, is, an, is an emotional hurt. It's, a, it's, a, it's an anguish. It's a cry, disillusionment, and disappointment. In John chapter 20, verses 2 and 11, uh, and 2 runs most of the page, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken away the Lord, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, we don't know where they've laid him. And then they go and do all their investigation and they leave, but what happens? In verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Think for a moment about Mary Magdalene. Jesus had loved her in a way that no other man had loved her before. He cared for her soul. He didn't look at her body in objectifier. He said to her, you are worth something in the eyes of God. And he brought a spiritual and emotional healing that Mary had never experienced in her life. And, and she thought he was the Messiah. He had said he was. She thought he was the long-awaited king who was going to come and restore the nation of Israel, and now she can't find the dead body. She's in a graveyard. Can you imagine her heart and soul and the anguish she felt? Think about one of, whatever your moment of great disappointment has been in your life, and, and maybe you've had more than one or two. Think about the disillusionment where you're sitting there and going, it just isn't what they said it would be. I've been sold a false bill of goods, and the anguish and the hurt and the pain and the disappointment feels like a coat that you are draped around your shoulders and wearing. I can't imagine how frustrated and hurt Mary must have felt that morning. I was listening to a sports radio talk show the other day, and the guy on the radio wasn't talking about sports at that particular moment. He was talking about being out in L.A., and he had driven by a billboard that he had seen, and he actually, when he got back to his hotel room, he checked the website to make sure he hadn't misread the billboard. And he checked it on the website, and it, and it was accurate. He got it right. And it was a jewelry store, and this was, their, this was their, their catchphrase. We rent wedding rings. Friends, that's what we've come to. Might work, might not work. This one done, there's probably another one. But why spend the money? Why not just rent a ring and see how it goes? If that doesn't cause some disillusionment in our hearts, that doesn't cause some disappointment in our souls. We don't understand that, that the brokenness in our relationship has led a jeweler to figure out he can make a bunch of money off of our sin and our brokenness and the hurt that happens in human relationships. Then we, we are not looking at the world as honestly as Scripture looks at the world. It's a reason for sadness and mourning. There's another reason, though, in Psalm chapter 30 and again in John 20, and it's my culpability. You see, Scripture does not allow us to play the victim card. We are at time victims of another person's sin. There's no question about it. In a room this size, I'm sure there are people in here that have experienced abuse on a variety of different levels. I'm sure there are people who have been taken advantage of in this room. I'm sure there are people in this room who have had harm done to them by someone else, even on a small scale. And so we're not saying that no, someone's never victimized, but our tendency is to say, because I've been a victim, I am not culpable. And Scripture says, look and think again. David says, as for me, he's not talking about his neighbor. He's not throwing rocks anybody. He says, as for me, David says, I'll just speak for myself. I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. David was put on the throne of Israel. God gave him everything his heart desired, and he looked around, and how did he respond to God's grace? How did he respond to the blessings that God had given him? He said, I'll take the credit. I did it all. I, you know, it's the Sinatra song. I did it my way, right? And what does God say? 
He says, I'm going to hide my face from you. David recants. He understands what he's done wrong. He says, by your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong, but then you hid your face, and I was dismayed. You see, when David took credit for everything for which only God should have the credit, God said, I'm not going there with you, brother. You want to be prideful? Try it out on your own. And David realized in that moment, wait a minute, God, God stepped back from me. I have been arrogant and proud. I need to be humble. And so David understands that it's the Lord who made his mountain strong. But he, he was wrestling with that sin that maybe you wrestle with, I wrestle with all the time, which is a sin of pride. But then we go to John chapter 20, verse 2, and Mary is speaking, and she says, they've taken away the Lord. We don't know where they have laid him. Mary had heard Jesus say, I'm going to rise from the dead. Mary had heard Jesus say, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, but don't panic. Three days later, God is going to raise me to life. And how does she respond? She went to a tomb looking for a corpse. She didn't hear, in one ear and out the other. Now, I'm not here to pick on Mary because I have unbelief all the time. God says, trust me in the way you love your family. God says, trust me in the way you go about your ministry. God says, trust me in the way you develop your prayer life. God says, trust me in the private moments of your life when, when nobody else is around and looking. And, and so often, I don't believe, I don't believe, I don't believe in a very practical way. Friends, Scripture says, if we're going to understand mourning to the depth to which we need to understand it, we must look in the mirror. And we must understand that, that some of this brokenness a great deal of this brokenness, quite frankly, lays at our doorstep. One more reason to mourn, and that is because the final condition is worst of all. The psalmist cries out to you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? David's wrestling with this understanding that, you know what, if I die, I will, my physical body won't come back. I will not be on earth again. I will not be in conversation with anybody ever again. I'll never be able to go again and worship God. I won't be able to praise him. This physical body will not come back as a grasshopper or anything else. It's not going to be reincarnated. It's going to turn back to dust. And where's the prophet in that? You hear the cry of his heart. And then in the garden, Mary says to Jesus after he's asked her who she's looking for, why she's there, she stays with this theme of, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him that I may take him away. Mary says, I know that death is one, but perhaps I can, I can offer the Lord some dignity in death. And the final condition is worst of all. I, this made me rethink of, of uh, Ebenezer Scrooge and Charles Dickens and the Christmas Carol. Since it's Easter, I thought it'd be good to talk Christmas. You know, it's never quite too early. In my world, as soon as we get done today, we start thinking about Christmas uh, a little bit ahead. But you, you remember Ebenezer Scrooge is visited by three ghosts, right? And the last ghost is the ghost of Christmas future, and that is the ghost that, that forces Ebenezer to look at his own mortality. And so there they are in the graveyard. The spirit stood among the graves and pointed down to one. He, Ebenezer, advanced towards it trembling. The phantom was exactly as it had been, but he dreaded that he saw new meaning in its solemn shape. Before I draw near to the stone to which you point, said Scrooge, answer me one question. Are these the shadows of things that will be, or are they the shadows of things that may be only? Still the ghost pointed downward to the grave by which it stood. Men's courses will foreshadow certain ends to which, if they are persevered in, they must lead said Scrooge. But if the course is departed from, the ends will change. Say it is thus in what you show me. The spirit was as immovable as ever. Scrooge crept towards it, trembling as he went. 
following the finger, and read upon the stone of the neglected grave his own name, Ebenezer Scrooge. Friends, there is great reason to mourn. <laughs> There's compelling reason to mourn. But is that where Scripture stops? Does the Bible leave us with, with a king of, of, of the nation of Israel who is dejected and who is, is undone by his own sin and the suffering and brokenness and the human hatred of the world? Does the Scripture leave us with a woman bewildered and disillusioned and, disappoint, and disappointed beyond belief? It would appear that dancing and celebrations are but a brief injection of joy into a world that is racked with pain and sorrow and death. But as I said at the outset, I'm going to argue both sides of the case, so to speak, this morning, because Scripture also gives us compelling reasons to dance. The first one is found in Psalm 30. The reason to dance is that God is not absent, nor is he uncaring. I didn't pull all of them out of the text. I grabbed four of them just to give you uh, the understanding of kind of how it flows. There are several other ones in uh, Psalm 30. They're the you have statements. And David says, speaking to God, you have drawn me up. You have healed me. You have restored me to life. You have clothed me with gladness. David is instructing us in what it means to be in relationship with a God of mercy and a God of compassion. He is not inactive. He is not absent. He is not absent-minded. He is not disinterested, but rather he is in the process of healing and restoring. And if that were not enough, in John chapter 20, verse 16, Jesus says to her, Mary. The most intimate word you can use with another person is their name, right? To know their name and to call it out in such a way as to make your love and your care recognizable. You ever been with a, with a child who's in a storm and, and really scared? Maybe the thunder's uh, freaking them out a little bit, the lightning. Maybe they, they've had a really shaky experience. Maybe they were playing out in the yard and they got hurt and they came in and they're trembling. And you just, you know, Nate, Katie, Jordan, you just call them by name. And there's something about that that soothes the soul and speaks of the love that the one who utters the name gives. And so many of us have such a warped and wrong view of God because we think he stands back at a distance. And most of the time he's disgusted with us or disappointed because we haven't lived up to all of his rules and all of his expectations when we don't understand that, that he is not standing afar off. He speaks into every moment of our lives and he speaks with love and compassion and care. He's not in the distance. He is, he is next to us in a, in a merciful, compassionate way. About a month ago, I got this brainstorm that I would cancel my home phone and just use our cell phones. How many people have done that? You got rid of the home phone? It's just, I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. We're, we never use it, and so we might as well just go with the cell phones. So I called AT&T. Is Tom Whitaker here? Whit, if you're here, I'm, I'm going to get on your company for a minute. I'm very sorry. He doesn't, he's not his company, but he, he works for them. And this is true of any, any company probably, but I called AT&T. I said, I want to get rid of the phone, but I want to keep the internet, right? I just want to be able to get online. So, uh, so they send me the, the, whatever you call that thing, the, um, oh, there's a name for it. I don't know what it is, but they send me a thing to hook up, and it's very, follow the instructions. I hook it all up, nothing, doesn't work. The, now the phone's dead. Now I can't call AT&T and tell them that my computer didn't work. So I call on the cell phone, and the guy's like, this isn't the number we have for you. Yeah, it's not the number you have for me because that one isn't working anymore. So I spent an hour and a half on the phone with him. He couldn't get it. So I sent a guy out. He's there for an hour and a half, and, and he gets it. He figures it out. So he goes, oh, we, it, this was our fault. Mr. Ricks, don't worry about it. I said, well, I'm glad it was our fault. Who, how much are we going to have to pay? He goes, you're not going to pay anything. <laughs> right? $267 later. 
okay? I got this bill from AT&T for $24.99 internet service. And so I call AT&T back and have another four-hour delightful conversation with them. Now, again, I'm not picking on AT&T. I'm sure any big corporation has these glitches, but they were not absent, but they certainly were uncaring to the point where I literally had to argue and argue and argue my point until I got them down to $100, and then they sent me the gift card. And you know why they send you that gift card. They know you're only going to spend like $93 of it, right? Nobody spends it. They, they're going to they're get you one way or the other. I spent every penny of that gift card because I have broken relationships and human hatred in my heart just as much as AT&T might have in theirs, and I wasn't going to lose, right? But God doesn't come close to us so he can take advantage of us. God doesn't come close to us so he can abuse us. He comes close to us so he can show us his love, which leads me to the second reason for us to dance, and that is because God is gracious and God is forgiving. Psalm 30, in his anger is but a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. God is gracious and compassionate. He is a God who forgives his people. When we enter into a relationship with him, we do so by his forgiveness. That's what the cross of Jesus is all about. That's why he came and suffered and died, so that he could take the justice of God, the, the, the punishment that you deserve and I deserve because of our sins, and he could pay the penalty so that we could then have the mercy of God lavished upon us and be called the sons and the daughters of God. So I got to thinking about this. I got to thinking about God's forgiveness, and I asked myself this simple question. What if God held a grudge the way I hold a grudge? That didn't feel very good. Then I took it to the next step. What if God forgave the way I forgive? What if everybody in the world was subject to the forgiveness model of Tom Ricks? Friends, we would be in serious, serious trouble. I was talking to a young man a few weeks ago, and he had had a bad thing happen to him. A, a person who claimed to be a friend had hurt him, and I am not making light of his situation. It, it, was, it, was, it was a hard deal. It really was. But we're sitting there talking, and, and, I, and I'm trying to implore him to really think about forgiveness and what that means and to work through it because forgiveness is a, unforgiveness is a harsh taskmaster. It can, it can drive you to your grave. And I was saying to him, you know, I'm not saying you got to do this today, but I think you got to work on this because it's, gonna, it's really going to hurt you if you don't. It could hurt your marriage years down the road. Uh, you know, it could hurt your, you know, being a parent. All that, you want to deal with this now. And he looked at me and he said, I've forgiven him, but I hate him. And I thought, man, that's, that's a reflection of my heart as well. There are moments where I think, well, I'm just not going to go after him. I'm not going to harm him but I'm not going to do anything about what's really controlling my heart. And God doesn't look at you that way. God doesn't look at me that way when he forgives. He forgives completely, and he forgives totally. There isn't one ounce of angst left in him. When he forgives, it is a complete and clean slate for you and for me. And, friends, that's a great reason to dance. The third reason to dance, and I have four of them, is that God loves a good party. Look at verse 11 of Psalm 30. You've turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth, and you've clothed me with gladness. You, you think about when you were younger, and, and you, you, know, you went to a party, and the next day you know, you're with your buddies, whenever you're like, you know, that was a great party last night, dude. Wasn't it? Yeah, we had so much fun. And you, you went to somebody's house, and you turn on the TV, and you maybe drank something you shouldn't drink or smoked something you shouldn't smoke. You know? But you're like, oh, dude, that was just so great. It was so awesome. Yeah, did you talk to girls? I'm like, oh, there were girls there? I didn't know there were girls. You know? And you don't feel good, and you have a headache, and you're like, man, that was a great party. That's a terrible party. That's a terrible celebration. 
But God says there's more rejoicing in heaven over one lost soul that experiences forgiveness than 99 that don't. The prophet said God dances over us with joy. He's ecstatic. He can't wait to throw a party and celebrating our salvation. You think about the first, wet, the first miracle that Jesus performed, right? The wedding in Cana. And what did he do? He turned water into wine, right? But it was outside the scope of the mind and ability of Jesus to create an $8.99 bottle of wine. He created the best French Bordeaux you've ever had in your life, right? They bring the wine up to the wedding steward. He tastes it, and he goes to the father of the bride. He says, I, how did you do this? Everybody's already had too much to drink, and now you bring out the best wine anybody's ever had? Jesus couldn't help himself. Jesus was going to make the best wine ever because Jesus parties and celebrates his grace and his mercy, and he invites us to join in the dance. And the last reason to dance and to celebrate is because the final condition that we mentioned in the first section really is not the final condition. God, not death, has the last word. David says, you've changed all this for me. Why? That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent, O Lord. My God, I will give thanks to you forever. Now, Jesus li or, uh, David lived a thousand years before Jesus. He didn't understand all the theology we have today, but he knew God was eternal, and he knew that God had entered into a relationship with him that he would not neglect either side of the grave. And so David says, I'm going to dance forever with my God. What does Jesus say to Mary? Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Go to say to my brothers, not the guys who left me hanging when I really needed them, although they had. Not those, those, those guys who were bragging about how they'd stay with me to the end, and then as soon as the first guy with a sword shows up, they ran away. But my brothers, you hear the compassion and the grace? Go to them and say, I'm going to our God, to our Father. They are included. Death does not have the last word. The Lord Jesus' life, his resurrection, has the final word for all those who put their faith in him. And if living forever, void of sin, void of brokenness, void of sorrow, void of suffering, is not a reason to dance, I don't know what is. Scripture is very clear. There are moments when mourning is appropriate, but dancing wins the day. It doesn't mean we never have a problem again. It doesn't mean that we, that we don't struggle in this life. We will and we do. But it means we do in the context of eternity and in the context of a God who loved us so much that he gave his own son, and we do it in the context of the Lord Jesus' love that would allow him to go to the cross for you and for me so that death would not have the final word. Bruce Larson tells a story about a buddy of his who lived in Montgomery, Alabama, and they were going to take a family trip across the country. It's kind of like a, a vacation, the movie, where they're going to go from one end of the country to the other. They're going to drive from Montgomery to California. And this guy set the whole thing up with the wife and the kids. It's going to be a great time. And about two days before they go, he gets this unbelievably huge project at work. And he has to go to his wife and say, you guys are going to have to go on without me because I've got to get this done. And he stays behind uh, and he works on it. But he gets it done a whole lot faster than he thought. Now the family is somewhere in western Kansas, and he figures out where they are on the map, and he hops on a plane, 
And as the family is driving up and over the Continental Divide in their, uh, in their little, you know, their family truckster, the, the, uh, you know, the station wagon going across countries, they come up to the crest of the Continental Divide. They look, and there's a guy standing out on the side of the road in torn up jeans and flip-flops and a T-shirt that says Alabama on it with his thumb out. It's the dad who went and found him. And, and Bruce said to his buddy, why didn't you just call him and tell him you're getting on a plane? Why did you, you know, pick me up in Gunnison or where? Why, why did you do all of that? And here was his response. He says, well, Bruce, someday I'm going to be dead. And when that happens, I want my wife and kids to say, you know what? Dad was a lot of fun. I love that story. I really do. I, I, I want to I be that kind of dad. I don't know that I want to stand on the Continental Divide waiting for him. They'd probably get the wrong turn, and I'd be there for three weeks. But that's not the best answer. The best answer is, when I die, I want my wife and my kids to say, it'll just be a little while. We're going to see him again. And that even at a funeral, they could dance. You see, the resurrection of Jesus gives us reason to dance. It's not an ordinary dance. It's not a human dance that, that we dance because maybe we've had enough alcohol to, to ease the suffering for a few moments and we just kind of lose all of our inhibitions. It is a dance of joy. It is a dance that recognizes there is new life in this world and new life in the next. It's a dance of compassion that reaches down to the hurting. It's a dance of service that cares for those in need. If I could say one thing to Samantha this morning, what I would say to her is keep dancing. Because you're dancing better than most of us are, even in the darkness of that situation. Because that's the dance that God brings into our life. It's the dance of truth that breaks through the darkness of lies with God's sure and certain promise that is eternal and unmovable and unchangeable because of the resurrection of Jesus. It's the dance of the gospel of grace. Jesus sets the tune and he invites us to dance with him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you would go through the cross in order to give us the opportunity to dance on Easter Sunday morning, 2012. Thank you that you did not allow death to have the last word. And that although there are, there are moments of great mourning, you even experienced that in your life. You wept over Jerusalem. You were saddened when you saw the brokenness of the world, but you had confidence because you knew what was coming. You knew that grace and that mercy and that life would win the day. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that we would join you in your dance every moment for your glory and for our good. We pray in your name. Amen.